Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Yeah, well, welcome everybody. How y'all doing tonight? Good, good. Well, you know, first off, let's just thank Pastor Rasul, Pastor Josh, Pastor James. Uh, yeah, give it up for our pastors, please. Give it up. Um, because, y'all, do y'all have any idea how hard it is to lead a church in the middle of a pandemic? I mean, oh my goodness. So I'm very thankful to, like Pastor Rasul said, have been a part of this community uh, for the past five years. Uh, I've been able to experience God by simply serving the community and growing as a leader. And we have our leaders to very be, uh, be very thankful for that. Um, so let's pray. Uh, Father, we give you thanks uh, that we simply have the opportunity to hear what you have to say today. Uh, my thoughts, my perspective, my opinions don't really matter. Uh, the only thing that matters in this room right now is what you have to say in regards to how we are living our lives and how we can love you, Lord God, and love one another. Uh, in the name of your perfect son, Jesus Christ, we pray, amen and amen. Y'all, have y'all ever thought you were so great at something only to realize you weren't as great as you thought you were? I mean, have you ever thought you were way up here with it, with your gifts, your talents, your skills, your careers, and even ministry, only to realize you weren't as great as you thought you were, that you were actually operating way down here with it, right? I remember when I was in high school, I took some automotive courses, and they had this program set up where, you know, if you were doing good in school, you can split half your class days by going to a different school for some automotive classes. So in a short amount of time, I went from knowing nothing about cars to almost now working at a car dealership in Queens. So I grew in a very short amount of time, right? So I worked this summer job, I'm excelling throughout my high school classes, and then I get to a point where now it's time to wonder, am I going to go to college for some more automotive things? Will I get better at that and grow in that direction? Am I going to go to aviation college, take my automotive knowledge to a whole other level? Or will I go to the Air Force and just spend time serving the country while I figure out like, what my passions and what my intelligence may or may not be, right? And I'm so glad I chose to go to aviation college because everything I learned in high school, I was able to easily take it into aviation college. And I was breezing through all of my classes. I mean, college was very easy for me. I took courses like electricity. I took courses like hydraulics, pneumatics. And I just remember feeling, man, like this is my lane because you may have a gift in music where you go to a college for music and you just excel with that intelligence. Music just comes easy to you. Or you might be an athlete and hand-eye coordination is your thing. You're a football player, a basketball player, and that's your lane. For me, it was mechanical engineering. Things just click for me when I get to touch it and see it, do the math on it, and et cetera. So college now becomes so easy for me. I decide, okay, well, why don't I build my career 
while finishing my education in college. So I'm applying for all these jobs. Ramp agent at LaGuardia Airport. I'm applying for ramp supervisor over here. At one point, I now get all these jobs and I'm now getting all like these double promotions and all this recognition. And I'm feeling myself like, yeah, like I'm really good at this thing, right? So now, this is where it gets interesting, okay? So now, um, it's not enough to only have a part-time job and go to college. So I then decide, all right, so let me see if I can work for American Airlines. Because if I finish my education and then start working for a major airline in my region, I can now get into my career once school is over. Makes sense, right? So I apply for American, and I get the job. And this is where pride became so evident in my life because American had these jackets a part of their uniform, right? And it had these, this, this big AA patch on it. And I would wear my work uniform to school just to let people know, listen, I'm way up here with it. Nobody is seeing me. So here I am working for a major airline. College is going great. And once you graduate college to be an aircraft technician, you have to get what they call an uh, FAA uh, license, right? Now, when you hear FAA license or exam, think of it as the bar exam for lawyers. It's a big deal, okay? So everyone is saying how hard this test is, and you got to take it so serious, and you better be practicing and learning and, and rehearsing everything. And I had an examiner whose name was uh, Dr. J, right? And when you hear Dr. J, don't think about no basketball player. This was a short military guy, looked you square in the eyes and played no games. So now, I graduate college and it's time for this FAA exam, right? So I get to my test, I schedule my exam with my examiner, and we get through the first couple of questions and it's very easy. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what are we really doing here? Like, these are some easy questions and it's not as difficult as I thought it was. So we now get towards uh, the middle part of the test, and it becomes a bit more difficult. And I'm like, whoa, like, you know, I thought I just came here to take the easy test, get on with my life, get my education, work for a career, and just, like, get on with my life. And I remember the questions became so difficult, I didn't even have an answer for some of these questions. I couldn't even lie about what he was asking me. Yeah. <laughs> It was, like, increasingly difficult. And one question he asked me, I remember he said, you know, Patrick, uh, when an aircraft is flying at 30,000 feet, what VHF antenna will it use to coordinate? I was like, bro, like, like, I came here to win. <laughs> like, this is not what I practice. And get this, after the exam, we're kind of, he had the, so after I failed, first of all, so I failed that test. So after the exam, he had the nerve to say, all right, so Pat, let's review what you got wrong. I to myself, like, all right, like, I done failed. Like, my life is ruined. Like, you want to review my test? All right, whatever. And he goes through the textbook, and he's saying, yeah, on page 537 of the airframe power plant general description of maintenance, this is where it says everything you didn't know. And I'm like, all right, like, thank you. So if there was anything that I regret about me being in college is that I was very prideful, right? I was succeeding a lot in college. And when you're operating in so much pride, you're not able to let someone else help you on the process.
I went through college all by myself. And there is an African proverb where it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And y'all, choosing to go together is difficult. When I was in college and I saw all of my dreams, aspirations, I looked at people as a way of just slowing me down. I wasn't going to share job openings with my other classmates. I wasn't going to waste my precious time helping you understand the principles of pneumatics or other aviation classes. Because pride says it's all about me. It's all about my perspective, all about my opinion. It's all about my success. We live in a culture where pride is very inviting. And the last thing you want to do is share your success, right? So now, for me, when I came towards uh, failing that exam, you know, it was very interesting too because when you wrap your identity into who you think you are, a simple test failure makes you question who you actually are. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, like, should I go back to school to pick something else? Should I go be a doctor? Should I go be a teacher? Failing one simple test made me question my whole entire identity because pride lies to you, right? So now there's also a very thin line between pride and humility. It's easy for me to say, hey, everyone, uh, make the choice. On one hand, you have pride, and on one hand, you have humility. If I gave everyone here that option, we'd all lean easily into choosing humility. But there is a reason why I easily fell into being so prideful. Because again, it's just so tempting. There are just so many things pulling our attention to be very self-centered. And can you imagine how many people I could have helped if I wasn't so self-centered, right? I mean, I could have helped so many people catapult themselves into their own careers, but I was so consumed with the idea of living for self. And I share this story because I don't want the test of life to hit you in the face one day, right? To where you're now having to consider, like, where did I go wrong in these steps of of trying to be prideful or trying to really fend for myself or grow and excel in my own ways of, of living my own life. Because the other reality is that we carry the weight of regret when we fill our lives with what we think is best only for ourselves. And there's a story in the Bible that shows us what it takes to do life together, right? I share my story because I wish I would have invited people into the whole process, right? There's a story in the Bible that explains how these two godly women in the book of Philippians were choosing self. They were choosing pride. And they weren't allowing the whole entire church body to help them with how the whole entire church can grow in community, okay? Now, their names are Syntyche and Yodia, all right? So I looked up various pronunciations for Syntyche, and I settled with the Brooklyn pronunciation. <laughs> there was Syntyche, there was another one that was in the Greek, but tonight we're going with Syntyche, okay? So, <laughs> so we have, on one hand, we have Yodia, on one hand, we have Syntyche, and listen, Paul describes these women as being very godly, okay? 
Paul describes them to be missionaries, women that were laboring with him side by side and helping plant churches, which, by the way, in those times, they were heavily under Roman oppression. So you can imagine if Paul is saying, these are my two companions, these are my two soldiers, they must be way up here with it, right? So now they're having what verse 2 describes to be a disagreement. And Paul goes on to, to really describe what they're going to, uh, what they're going through. And he also, on one hand, describes uh, the solutions to how they can navigate uh, how they see themselves, how they see each other, and how they see the whole entire church, okay? So we're going to start with uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, Paul writes a letter to the church in Philippi. He says here in his verse, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Some versions say entreat. Some versions say plead. And if you read the King James Version and you're a true brethren brother, you're going to say beseech, right? So Paul is beseeching Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And what I found so interesting here also is that this idea of agreeing in the Lord is an actual command that simply suggests to not agree within yourself. You're having a disagreement, you're having a dispute, you're having an argument. Try to step out of yourself to see how someone else can see whatever the issue is. But it's surmised here that Yodia and Syntyche are only considering their opinions, their perspective the way that they see things. So in this split, how they do in church together, we can imagine Yodia looking at Syntyche going, you have your way of doing things, and I have my way of doing things. Even though we've built this church together and we're growing in the Lord together, we can still operate in our own silos. And Paul hears about this, and he is saying, no, we can't do that. Do what it takes to get on the same page. So Paul doesn't stop there. Paul isn't writing a letter to the whole entire church addressing only two individuals. He is saying, yeah, I've heard about your issues. I've heard about Yodega and Syntyche and how you guys are not on the same page. But if we look here at Philippians 4 verse 3, it says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul is saying, not just Yodia and Syntyche, to the whole entire church, help these women. Help bring these two women to an eye-to-eye level where they can see each other, talk to one another, and speak to one another to get back on the same page. And here is the truth, church. Even though Paul is writing, addressing conflict within these two women, this goes for men and women alike. It's no different if you have any kind of worship leader or any kind of person leading the prayer night. There are leaders, in fact, that can grow to be so godly to operate in their own direction. And Paul is addressing the conflict between Yodia and Syntyche, at the same time inviting the whole church to help them. So now here is the challenge, right? My pride can keep me separate from somebody else. It takes the idea and the heart of humility to learn how to bring somebody in on to the process of whatever we're going through. Because the other reality is that humility is not a gift. It's a virtue. And over time, practicing this virtue 
will make its way into our hearts so that we can learn through relationships well and invite people into what we're doing. So Paul is recognizing this and saying, this idea of operating on your own and being by yourself, I want y'all to work on getting back on the same page, and I want the whole church to see how they can help you. It's not just a one-man effort. It's a whole entire team's effort. So now, this word entreat is not only found in Philippians 4 verses 2 and 3 where Paul is trying to urge them to get on the same page, to bring one to, to someone else's side, right? Because the Greek defines that word entreat to say, I am bringing someone onto a different perspective. In other words, I am urging, I am begging that in your disagreement, don't see it only the way you see it. Step out of the way you may only see it for yourself. So we also see this in two chapters prior in Philippians 2 verses 1 through 3. And read along with me. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, in Paul writing this part of the letter and repeating this idea of having the same mind, we simply see how important it is for Paul to handle conflict, handle disagreements, and try to get back on the same page, right? He's repeating this because it's also all about communication. It's hard to resolve any type of conflict with anybody else if you're not willing to communicate. And what does that take? Humility. Isn't it so humbling that when you got to address somebody or confront someone, you're like, well, okay, I guess I got to go over there and like, you know, tell my side of the story. Like, that's humbling. Pride says, no, like, meet me where I'm at over here, so I don't know what you're waiting on. Get on my page. Why? Because only my perspective matters, only my opinion matters, and see things the way I see things, right? So now, 2020, I got married, okay? And if there is any place in my life where I have to practice humility the most, it's my marriage. When I was single, before I got married, I read a bunch of books about marriage and what to look out for and what to be prepared about. And I heard a bunch of pastors preach through so many sermon series about marriage and it's challenging and it's also beautiful and it's also hard, but it's also great. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I know that I respect the covenant of marriage. I am not going to walk into this thinking it's easy. Everyone is saying it's difficult. I'll take your word for it. I believe you, right? <laughs> so I get into marriage, and because pride is an innate part of our nature, it just it spills out. No matter how hard I try to remember that put my wife first and let's communicate and talk, pride still finds a way to help me, not actually to help me, to make me have issues and, and, and so many different uh, problems with my wife, right? So now, uh, there was a particular time where uh, we got into a disagreement, 
and we had different perspectives on a particular issue, right, a particular idea. And I also had a call with Pastor James, I think within the next 30 minutes of how we started to converge this whole disagreement, right? So I get on the call, I get on the Zoom call, and Pastor James goes, what's up, Pat? You good? I'm like, yeah, like, everything is good. And guys have a way of describing issues that we can think are so descriptive and it's actually not. So we're on this call, and James is kind of piercing in like, like is everything all right? I'm like, yeah, well, you know, all right, so if you want to know, so boom, and then so bang, and then like, this is where we at. So my wife, being as much of a gold wife as she is, she hears this like, gets on the call and tells Pastor James all the details. <laughs> but the beauty in this, right, is that Pastor James almost plays the role as the Apostle Paul. He comes on to the Zoom call and he sees that there's something that might be a bit off, and he tries to pierce in. Humility lets people in on the process. My innate nature of being prideful tells James, everything is good. See you next week. <laughs> Nothing to worry about, right? But on the other hand, in my marriage, uh, having a very humble wife, she's able to, to help me, like the Apostle Paul wants the whole church to come in on helping, Yodi and Syntyche, Letting Pastor James in on our marriage helps me and my wife to see each other on an eye-to-eye -eye playing field. And have you ever experienced mediation with any conflict, roommates, co-workers, family members, or even in your marriage, where when someone mediates, then you go, oh, that's what you were trying to say. And all the pain that you felt of the conflict and how to resolve it dissipates. Because now I see things the way you see things. And it brings understanding, right? So now to support this whole command of being humble and inviting people on the whole entire process, right? Uh, Paul is now going to describe the attributes that Jesus has and how we also have access to those same attributes, same characteristics. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and five, uh, 5, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul is saying here, be ambitious, but don't be selfish with it. So when I was in college and I was getting all these jobs and growing so much, Paul is saying, like, go work for American Airlines. Go on with yourself. But share. Invite people in on the process. And the word significance also leaped out to me in this verse, right? The word significance is defined simply as something important or someone important worthy of our attention. You know what pride does? Pride takes the definition of significance and it places it on self. I mean, how many times have we taken group pictures and when you look at them, you look at yourself first. No matter how many people are in that picture, we're naturally concerned with ourselves, right? It's crazy. So Paul is saying, take that significance and place it on others. And 
Can you imagine if we take this ambition that we have, this significance that we have, and we marry it into our lifestyles while we do community together, in our marriages, in the co-working space? Because the devil wants nothing more than to have us operating in our own silos, our own position. He wants you to think that, okay, it's, you know, it's okay to excel and okay to grow, but I want you to have it all for yourself. This idea of significance, this idea of being ambitious, keep that for yourself. Keep it only for you. And the Apostle Paul is saying, even though you have these gifts, intelligences, of excelling, of learning, of doing great work, it's, you're, it's almost nothing if you can't share that with other people. In fact, I'm a firm believer that our gifts that God has given us isn't only for us. I can actually inhibit somebody else's potential by keeping why God created me only for me. Right? So with this whole idea of humility, the trap we fall into is when we think that we don't have any healthy examples of humility in our families or even with our friend group. You may not always be experiencing how someone puts you first before themselves. But the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 5 and 8, he wants the church to look to Jesus. The greatest virtue or thing about the Bible is that there are no commands unless it is supplemented with an example found in Jesus. God will never ask you to do anything that Jesus has not fulfilled himself first, right? So now reading on. Verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now let's think about this. He did not count himself equal with God. So scriptures say that Jesus was there from the beginning, right? In the three Godhead of the Holy Trinity, you have the Holy Spirit, you have Jesus, and you have God the Father. And now Jesus, having descended from heaven, you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, I am going to take off this robe of royalty. I'm going to come down all the way to earth in the form of human likeness and put on the cloak of humility. Even Jesus says that I did not come to be served. Even I came to serve. So I think the Apostle Paul, in light of what the gospel tells us, is saying, if we see Jesus, who could have, by the way, been a king on earth that, sold, that made wine and sold it, he could have broke bread and put a tax on it. He could have made a profit out of all of his miracles. Is that not facts? But Jesus takes his gifts, his miraculous powers, his divinity, and we only see Jesus practice his, his omnipotence when it's for someone else's benefit. So now, where do we see Jesus putting our interests before his own? 
In the Gospels, it is explained that Jesus knew that his job or his role was to die for our sins, right? Jesus loves us so much that he saw the weight and the cost of our sins and knew that it was only him that can be the one to save us from eternal death, right? So in Jesus dying for us, Jesus sees the cross. And the Gospels say that he goes to the Mount of Gethsemane, where he experienced so much excruciating pain. And he sees this cross, and he sees humiliation. And he is asking God the Father if there is any other way. God the Father doesn't answer Jesus. Scriptures say that there are angels that come and encourage him and strengthen him. And I believe that these angels came and lifted Jesus' head and said, this cross, all of its humiliation, its pain that you're about to bear, is for the interest of all the ones you love. So when he saw the cross and looked past the cross and was encouraged by all these angels, he saw names. He looked at the cross and he saw Felicia. He looked at the cross and he saw Victor. He looked at the cross, he saw me call, and he saw me. He saw you. And he laid down his life very easily because despite all of the pain, he saw salvation for us and God the Father, right? And now we're going to end off here with Philippians 2, 9 and 11. And it simply gives the idea or the reality actually that, that God exalted Jesus highly because he brought himself so low. I mean, truly, this verse tells us that the way up is truly down. In order to be seen as anything significant, we got to place it on other people and see ourselves or even think of ourselves less. So my ending question here for all of us is, is there pride keeping us from someone's side? Is there pride in any of our lives that's stopping us from seeing someone else's interest before our own. And if you can't think of anyone right now, uh, I would love to simply close in prayer because the truth is humility is something that God wants us to continue to practice, continue to learn, continue to cultivate. And over time, we can make great decisions on what it means to live like Christ and live in love. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we give you thanks that we simply had the opportunity to hear what you have to say in regards to our human nature. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.